Um, good morning, everyone. Teen moms are the most um, overlooked and neglected populations. Many of our teens have been told that because they got pregnant that they're worth nothing and that their life is pretty much over, that this is their mistake they made and they must deal with it alone <coughs> and oftentimes are forced to deal with it alone. Young Life Three Rivers um, seeks to share the love and grace of God with our teen moms <clears throat> to help them and equip them to have be successful in life and as a mom. I want to introduce you to Miss Amy. She is one of the teen moms that we have had the privilege of working with over a few years now. So welcome, Amy. Good morning. My name is Amy, and this is the story of how Young Lives saved my life. About three years ago, I was in a dark place. I grew up with parents who fought all the time, were drug addicts, and also alcoholics. My grandma got me out of the situation and let me live with her. My mom passed away unexpectedly one Saturday morning when I was in eighth grade. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was completely lost because I never got to have that mother-daughter bond that girls talk about. Throughout high school, I started experimenting with drugs. It started being a social thing and ended up spiraling into my own addiction. A couple years passed. I graduate high school, squeezing by with the lowest grades possible. A couple years... My father then passed away, January 8, 2012. I didn't know what to do with myself. I felt like I had absolutely nobody. I was 20 years old, without a mom or a dad, and totally going down the wrong path of life. About two months later, I found out that I was pregnant. If it wasn't for me getting pregnant, I don't know if I'd be standing here in front of you all today. I completely stopped using drugs and stopped partying and started, stopped being selfish and started focusing on my growing little one. My friend told me about a program where young moms got together and were simply taught how to have fun again. I started going while I was pregnant, and everybody gave me the sense that everything was going to be okay, and that even though I felt like I had nobody, God would always be there for me. And they helped me understand that what I was doing was the right choice. November 13th, 2012, <laughs> I gave birth to my son, Dominic. The girls and mentors at Young Lives welcomed him with open arms. Before I became a part of Young Lives, I was completely depressed, still mourning over the loss of my parents, scared to be a single young mother, and very confused about life. I now have a sense of wisdom that the mentors taught me. They have helped me finish my cosmetology schooling so that I can make a living to support my son. They have helped me with legal issues, and most importantly, they were there when I would cry at night and just simply needed someone to talk to. They've also helped me raise the most amazing, smart, handsome two-year-old that a mother could ask for. 
I could not thank God enough for bringing me to Young Lives. I hope to grow with the program and possibly one day become a mentor so that I can then encourage these teen moms to be the best that they can be. I've had some rough times in life, but everything that happened helped me mold into the strong, independent, smart, and courageous woman that I am today. And I wouldn't be able to say that if it wasn't for Young Lives. They taught me to love life and to spread God's love to those who need it. With the help of my Young Lives family, I have finally accepted Christ into my life, and it has filled the gap that I have been trying to fill for years. There are teen moms everywhere, in every neighborhood, and this ministry needs your help. Be the voice that reminds that these, that these girls are worth something and are loved. Be the voice that tells these girls of their relationship, of their Heavenly Father, and the promise that he has for them to give them hope and a future. Thank you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity we have this morning to come and to worship you. And God, as we dive into your word, I pray that you will speak to each one of us um, in exactly the way that you need to speak to us. And so I pray that you would give us ears to hear. Um, Any distractions that may be in our hearts from earlier in this day or this week or whatever, God, we pray that you would take those things now and set them aside. Uh, We pray, God, that you will... um, show up in this place, and that you would help us to really contemplate what it means to be pro-life, Lord. So thank you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. just wanted to share a, a bit of exciting news with you as we get started here. Um, we've kicked off our young adult ministry, and I'm excited about we got the mortgage paid off. That's fantastic. God's doing some cool things. And we kicked off our young adult ministry as well uh, about two weeks ago. And we've had a tremendous showing of the young adults in this church. Some of you have showed up and been there, um, and it's been fantastic. And I just want to invite you, if you're between the ages of 22 through 36, Wednesday night in here in Wilson Hall, we're having a Bible study where we're talking about God the Father. And we would love for you to join us for that. God's doing some really good things, and we're excited about that ministry. Um, As Pastor Jared said last week, we talked about God as our creator and how each and every one of us is created in the image of God on purpose, intentionally, uh, with a a purpose in mind. And so you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You're not an accident. And I thank God for that today. And, you know, part of that being created is we're created as humans. And so this morning we're going to talk about what it looks like for us as humans to rely on God as our protector. But before I get started, I am going to pray again because I need it. God, we love you. Give me the words to speak. Pray that you would, um, again, fix our hearts on what you want us to say. When we talk uh, talk about this topic of choose life, God, it could be very easy for us to poke fingers at other people. But I pray that you would help us to not look to our left or to our right this morning. But you would help us to look into our own hearts to see what it is that you have for us. Help us to be a people of love, grace, and mercy. In your name, amen. 
So as you all know, as I shared before, um, I'm an adrenaline junkie, and I absolutely love things like rock climbing and, and whitewater sports, and one of my passions is whitewater kayaking. I should say was one of my passions. Um, my wife appreciates that comment. Um, and, and one of the things is I, I love to, to learn more about the sport, and so I got into rafting and got into kayaking, and eventually um, I took a class on whitewater rescue and, and how to become a rescue boater. I've got a special kayak with like eight different hand grips all around it for, for people who would fall out of the rafts. And basically what a whitewater rescue person is is someone who gets to, paid to be in a kayak and watch people who don't have any idea what they're doing go down a river and then be there when they fall out to make sure they don't drown to death. So anybody ever been whitewater rafting? Anybody ever been kayaking or almost drowned to death? Okay, it can be scary. It can be a scary thing. And so what we learned in this class was pretty interesting because, you know, you're thinking whitewater rescue. It's probably very simple. You go, you pick the person out of the water, you lay them over their boat, your boat, and throw them back into your boat, and it's good. But there was a lot more to it than that. In fact, as we were learning about whitewater rescue, a couple of the things that we learned about was positioning. It's very important that you're in one of two positions. You're either upstream to the side of the person or downstream in front of the person so that if something were to tragically happen, they would have to literally run you over to escape you. And so here you are uh, learning about this whitewater stuff, and we hear about two types of people. Uh, we, we learn that there is the person who falls out of the raft, who, who kind of loses control, um, but they're the person that has enough sense to not panic. They've listened to what you've instructed them beforehand. Like when a whitewater instructor tells you to never stand up or try to stand up in the river, there's a reason for that. Because your foot going downstream will get entrapped in a rock, you'll fall face first and drown to death. And nobody likes to drown to death. Okay? And so we would teach people that, and there was people that would listen. They would gently lay still and let their bodies float until they could get near their raft and they would climb back in. As the whitewater guide, as the, as the rescue boater, you simply watched and made sure that, that everything was as it was. Then there was the second type of person. That was the person that hits the water and instantly turns dumb, uh, instantly turns to panic. And, and so they could be, I don't know, so good at swimming, but they hit the water, they panic, they do everything wrong. They're flailing, they're reaching, they're grabbing at different rocks, they try to stand up. And this is the person that we as a boater then get in position and we ask the question, can I help you? Of course the person needs help. But actually what they told us was it's very important that you ask this question and wait for the response, help me. Because what happens is, a person's natural reaction when they're in panic is to grab a hold of whatever they can and push themselves up. And if it's an uncontrolled grab, they can actually flip your, your rescue boat over, and now you're both dead. The instructor said, you should say it like this. When you're in the water, you're priority number one. But when you grab the side of my boat, you're now priority number two, and I'm going to look after me. Because if I'm dead, I can't rescue you. And so there's this whole concept of rescue. There's this whole concept of panicking that if you're in a dangerous situation, the worst thing you can ever do is panic because when we panic, we kind of lose all common thought, don't we? Has anybody ever panicked about anything in here? Maybe you got a bill or maybe you broke something or one of your kids shows up with a green limb. I don't know what it is. But panic will set in and we'll make dumb decisions, won't we? Like someone saying, Mom, I'm pregnant. That's a moment of panic where we can choose to react wrong. Or finding out you're pregnant 
and you have no one to stand by you like, like Amy was sharing with us. She felt like she had nobody. And in that moment, she could have panicked and made a decision to do something that she absolutely would have regretted. But thankfully, you didn't panic and you chose life. And we praise God for that. I think we do that all the time as people because we're made in the image of God, but we're broken in the sinful image. And we do. We have this thing in us called fear, don't we? And fear can lead us to do ridiculous things. Have you ever acted out of fear? Have you ever been caught in something that you've tried to cover up? Or I don't know what it is. You know what I'm talking about. We have these moments of fear where we make the wrong decision. And all we needed to do was yell out to the rescue boater, save me. Because God is our rescue boater. We're told, by God, we're told by God that as Christians and as believers, we're not to be afraid. In Joshua 1.9, he says these words, Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. As Christians, we're not to fear. We're not to panic. But all too often, we end up doing those things. And our fear and our panic leads us in a couple different directions. The first direction it leads us, it leads us into disobedience to God. And when we're disobedient to God, there's consequences for that sin. When we live in fear, it causes us to not act. And I'm going to tell you right now, God has blessings for you. And when we don't act on what God is commanding us to do, we're missing out on some of the blessings that he has for us. And so fear can cripple us into missing out the blessings that God has for us. Did you ever think that maybe that thing you're suffering through right now could eventually be a blessing from the Lord? Let's say maybe finding out you're pregnant and you have a little baby and you choose to be obedient and now God is blessing you through that. There's always consequences for our sins. But God tells us in his word that he will make all things work together for his good for those that love him. They will be worked out for our good because our good is his good. And so as believers, we've got to not be afraid. We've got to not panic. Because when we do panic, it has terrible results. I think a great example of this is in the book of Exodus. We all know the story of Moses and, and how he, the, the, the plagues came upon the, the people of Egypt and Pharaoh said, you know, get out of here. Moses said, let my people go. And Pharaoh resisted, he resisted, he resisted. And finally God showed up in a, in a tremendous way for Moses and his people. And he says, fine, get out of the kingdom, be gone. And so Moses and his people, they leave. They've got two directions they can really go. They can go through the, the path of their enemy, the, the, uh, I think it's Palestine, to the north. Um, and then they can go to the, the sea or the desert. There's not really a healthy direction for them to go, so they choose the desert because they don't want to walk to their enemies. They're not an army. And so as they're fleeing, God says to them, I want you to go back and I want you to wait here. I want you to wait because I'm about to do something tremendous. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to um, the book of, I almost said Luke, the book of Exodus 14. Turn to the book of Exodus chapter 14. Because you see, Israel's having one of these moments with the rescue boater. They've kind of fallen into the middle of something uh, tremendous, something crazy, and, and really it's going to take a God thing to get them out of it. They're encamped, 
And the armies of, the, of uh, Egypt are coming after them. And they have a real gut check moment. Israel asks the question, why did you bring us out here into the desert to die, Moses? Wouldn't it have been better for us to simply live as, slave, live as slaves in Egypt? And now, here we are, dying in the desert, and the army's coming after us? See, our human nature, when, when stuff happens, we go to fear, don't we? It's natural, it's comfortable for us to be afraid. But God tells us we shouldn't be afraid. Because even in ridiculous situations, God will do ridiculous things for a ridiculous outcome. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and start reading with me at verse 11, where it says, They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Wait, was it because there was no uh, graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us? Bring us out of Egypt. Bringing us out of Egypt. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? And it would be better for us to serve the Egyptians than to simply die in the desert. Moses answered the people, He said, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. It will be brought to you today. These Egyptians that you see today, you will never see again. And listen to this. Mm -mm 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 -mm. The Lord will fight for you. And you need only to be still. When the rescue boater goes out and tries to rescue that person who's panicking, they fight against being rescued. And I think a lot of times we as Christians, we, we get so caught up in our own agendas and our own time frames and our own things that when God is trying to rescue us, when God is saying, can I help you, we're simply slapping him away and fighting him off. We try to do it in our own power, and we can't do it in our own power. Moses tells the people of Israel, just like the whitewater instructor, just like we should do, is be still. Be still before the Lord. Pick your legs up. Lay in the current. And let the rescuer do his thing. Because when God shows up, he shows up in a mighty way. And he is your protector. He is your deliverer. Verse 15 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Do you know what God's telling the people there? Why why aren't you walking? I've already delivered you. This is a done deal. Get up and go. I think there's so many times in our lives, church, where God is already at work, but yet we're still so afraid to move on that we don't follow what he's telling us to do. We don't get up. We don't pursue God, that, that thing that God has delivered you from, let go of it. If you've struggled with alcohol or something like that and you can't forgive yourself, move on. You have life to live past that tragic event that happened in your life because God is already working in your life. You are already with the rescuer. Stop fighting it. You're not as bad as you think you are because God loves you. He is your protector. You just need to be still and he will fight that battle. So the most amazing thing happens now. He says this, the Lord says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on the dry ground. Listen to that. 
They've got the sea on one side. They've got an army on the other. Enemies up here and desert down here. Where are they going to go? Well, they're going to go into the middle of God's ridiculous plan. And I want to tell you, this is purely a miracle. This isn't some coincidental chance of nature that the Discovery Channel likes to say that it is. Because the Bible's very specific about a couple of things. It's the Red Sea, and it's parted. And they walk across on dry ground. Not dead fish, not kelp, not mud, dry ground. And imagine yourself, you're in the nation of Israel, and you see this majestic body of water part before you. You know that something tremendous is happening. God has showed up in an amazing way. And they were obedient. They waited on God with hopeful expectations. They endured the hardship of being out there in the desert and being afraid. They didn't panic. I mean, think about it. There's a path leading through a wall of water on either side. How many of you would be excited about going in? That image alone would cause panic, amen? But they didn't panic. They were obedient to God, and they followed, and they went. They got to the other side, and it says this, uh, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his armies. Through Though his chariots and horsemen, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. So Israel walks through to the other side. And when they look back, this majestic army is obliterated. And God brings the waters back in. Military speaking, they had no weapons. They probably had more women and children than anything. They didn't have warriors. They had to let God fight this battle for them. And I'm here to tell you, church, you're not a warrior. You're a child of God, and you need to let your Creator fight for you. You just need to be obedient to Him. You need to dwell in His presence. You need to hope, have hopeful waiting. You need to be fearful in your endurance, faithful in your endurance, and don't panic. How do we know God's our protector? There's two psalms that come to mind that I would love to share with you right now. The first one is Psalm 91. And by the way, your homework for today is I want you to go home and read the entire uh, Exodus 14 story. You can even start in 13. It's fantastic. It would make a great time of sharing with your family, but do that today when you go home. Psalm 91 says this, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadows of the Almighty. And I will say to the Lord that He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and a rampart. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but I will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you make the most holy your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. God's our protector. Did you notice what it was saying there? If you dwell in the house of the Lord, if you walk in the shadows of the Almighty, if you have confessed your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, if you've confessed to Him, then you are dwelling in the house of the Lord. 
And if you're dwelling in the house of the Lord, then He will protect you. He will guide you. I just want to encourage us to not panic and to not try to take things into our own terms. We, we look at Psalm 33 and we have another passage here. In verse 12, it says this, Blessed is the nations whose God is their Lord, the people He chose for His in- in- inheritance. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all of mankind. Who is out of the vision of God? Nobody. It says here that God sees all of mankind, whether you know Him or you don't. God sees you, and He's in that rescue boater position, wanting to rescue you. And you're either one of two people. You're either saying, save me, or you're rejecting Him. And you're willfully disobeying, and you're willfully rejecting the King. From his dwelling place, he watches in all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. And despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. Do you know what that means to fear God? Does it mean to genuinely be afraid in the fear that we're talking about? No, it's a respectful Love. Maybe there's somebody in your life that you have this adamant respect for. Maybe it's your dad. Maybe it's your mother. Maybe it's a grandparent. That's the type of the fear of the Lord. We're talking about loving the Lord, honoring God, the fear of disappointing the Lord. Not being afraid of Him because He's going to whoop us, but because He loves us. Does that make sense? goes on to say, But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him and on those who hope in his unfailing love. Isn't that beautiful? Can you hope in the unfailing love of God? This, this unfailing love will deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope of the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love rest upon us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. In these three passages of Scripture, we see a couple of things. The first thing that we see is that whole dwelling in the Lord. And I want to commend you. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, praise God. Cling to Him. But if you don't, I'm going to tell you, you're floating in a sea of death. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior, I would love to have a conversation with you. Any of the pastors or staff or people here would love to have a conversation with you about what it means to follow Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because without him, you're condemned to death. Without him, you're condemned to hell. There's not a person in this room that wants to see that happen. The first thing that we see is here is we've got to dwell in the house of the Lord. The other thing that we see that Israel did right was they were hopeful in their waiting. They were hopeful and waiting with great anticipation that God was going to do something ridiculous for them. And he did. Are you hopeful in your waiting? Do you wait on God? Let me ask you this. In your crisis is in life, are you still before God? Or are you flailing? Third thing that we see is they had a faithful endurance. They had a lot of hardships going on in their life, and, and maybe that hardship for you is a sickness. Maybe that hardship for you is keeping that child. Maybe that hardship for you is something different. But I'm going to tell you right now, God wants you to be faithful in your endurance. The Bible tells us that we should press on towards the goal that we may receive the prize that is Christ Jesus. 
Are you enduring life? Are you enduring those things that seem to be drowning you? Are you trusting in the goodness of God? Are you trusting in the strength of men? Because when you trust in the strength of men, it leads to panic. When I look through the Bible, I can't think of a better person to illustrate this than that of Abraham. God told Abraham, I'm going to give you many kids. I'm going to give you a lot. You're going to have so many kids, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be like the sands on the beach. Abraham said, well, you know, Lord, I'm getting kind of up there in age, and my wife's kind of barren, so uh, what's happening? And instead of faithfully enduring, instead of being hopeful and waiting and dwelling in God, Abraham took matters into his own hands. And you know the story. He ended up sleeping with his wife's handmaiden, had a child, and, and it was a disaster. His life turned into days of our lives just like that. We could go into Ishmael some other time. But I'm going to tell you right now, God has a plan, and when we take things into our own measure, it turns into a soap opera, and it leads us to death. It leads us to rejection of God. So I want to challenge you not to panic, as Abraham did, because sin has consequences, doesn't it? All of us have sinned, and all of us have the consequences of sin. I just want to talk about this for a minute. Because I feel like sin has become this thing in our culture that we're just like, yeah, you know what, I lied about my math test, or, you know, I cheated on this, or, you know, I messed up with my taxes. And we take sin lightly, but I want to tell you, when we sin, we're openly rebelling against God, and when we sin, we're hurting God. He weeps. Sin should be taken very seriously because it has consequences. Everything from the act of doing something wrong or the way that we respond to people. Sin is sin. Listen to what God says about sin in the book of Romans. And this, I'm going to read this right from Scripture. This isn't, I haven't messed with this at all. Romans 1, through 32 says this, Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of incorruptible God for an image in the form of a corruptible man, and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned their natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. I didn't write this. This is God. And I want you to really pay attention to this next part. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a deprived mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. That's a... Without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. We're in a culture today that loves to pat the back of a sinner and say, it's all right. God didn't really mean that. He meant it. 
Sin is sin. And as we've been preaching, we need to respond to sin with love, grace, and mercy. But we need to call it like it is and understand sin hurts the heart of God. It's not something that is light. And those consequences that we have to live through, they're hard. When the rescue boater gets in front of the the guy who's drifting, do you know that's a last attempt at rescuing this person? And you literally have to run over the rescuer in order to die. And when we choose death over life, that's exactly what we're doing, running right over God. And we're saying, we don't want you, we want death. We would rather have our sinful desires. And I'm going to tell you right now, God will let go of you if that's what you really want. But I promise you it's not. Because I've never really met anybody that has rejected God in that way. I believe that inside of each one of us, there's a curiosity about God. And I want to challenge you. Be obedient to God. Pursue Him. Cry out for help. You can't do this on your own. You need to simply yell out to the rescuer who's asking you every two seconds, can I help you? You simply need to say, yes, Lord, save me. You're not going to be able to get back in the boat on your own. And if you try to do it on your own, you're going to end up dead. We can't tolerate sin. We need to go after our brothers and sisters who are caught up in it. And we need to love on them and and help them and lead them to the rescue boat that is God. To be pro-life isn't to simply stand against abortion, and it's not even just to stand with people who keep their babies. To be pro-life is choosing the gospel of Jesus Christ and sharing it with everybody. We are a pro-life church, and that's part of what it means. It means us getting out there sharing the good news of Jesus because there's people dying all around us that need to know that there is hope out there. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to dwell in the house of the Lord. We need to hopefully wait on the ridiculous things that God wants to do. We need to be faithful in our endurance. Meaning, it may take 19 to 50 years for somebody to finally respond to God, but don't give up on them. Don't give up on them. Because God loves ridiculous stories. Doesn't he? I mean, have you ever read this thing? It's incredible. God desires to do something ridiculous with you as well because he's your protector. Do not fear. Do not be afraid of the things of this earth. Trust in God, church. Trust in God. Turn from sin and dwell in the house of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we love you. Lord, sometimes in our panicked action, we turn to sin and we know that that grieves your heart. Your purity, your light, your goodness. Evil has no place with you. And so God, we cry out to you, rescue us. Each and every one of us in this room right now, we need rescued, God. We pray that you would forgive us for our sins. That you would help us to wait on you and to recognize that we can't panic, God. I mean, goodness sakes, you had the Israelite nation on the shores of the Red Sea. And you gave them away. Not just any way, but a solid-footed, good, hard, dry ground way to the other side. All too often in our life, God, we can't see what your plan is, and you know that. And So we ask that you would help us to trust you. 
Help us to be faithful. Help us to endure. We love you.